Well, good morning. Been an incredible day of worship, has it not? Been awesome. I want to welcome you and I want to thank you for coming today. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching along online, literally all over the world. And I want to just say to you, if you're a guest here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. And I want to invite you that immediately following the service, if you would go out to the guest services, we have a gift for you. It's just our way of saying we're so glad that you came to worship with us. And if you're looking for a church home, I would ask that you would prayerfully consider making Central Community your church home, okay? And for those who are watching line, just type in the word welcome, and we'll be in touch with you quickly. All right, so we're in a series called Esther right now, and today we're winding this up. Next week, we're going to begin our road to the cross called Lessons on the Road. And so I want to encourage you, now is a time to invite people to come to church because this is the time of the year when more people are open to come to God's house. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But this is my favorite time of the year. There's basketball galore 24 hours a day, right? I mean, that's all I've been doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and guess what I'm going to do today? I'm going to watch basketball all day. You know, one of the things that I love about March Madness is that, you know, everybody likes to fill out their brackets. By the way, three-fourths of America lost their brackets when Kentucky got beat, right? Okay? But hey, we won't go there. But you know what? One of the things that, that I just want to say about March Madness that I love about it is, is that everybody in the country kind of is involved. There's schools from literally all over the United States. Now, I've been to some of these games before, and in fact, this week, the women's tournament is coming to Wichita, which is kind of cool, isn't it? And I encourage you, if you get a chance, you need to go and watch this. And here's why. The excitement is just unbelievable. I mean, schools from all around the United States, they're picking their team to win if their team isn't playing, and they're rooting and hollering, the bands are playing, the cheerleaders are doing their thing, and everybody's in a good mood. It's always funny to me how the fans react. I mean, all of a sudden, somebody hits a big basket, and you hear this roar just go through the stadium, right? But I want to tell you something. The fun's not in the stands, the fun is on the floor. It's being in the game. That's where everything happens. Anybody can be a spectator, but what I want you to remember is that in the game of life, God does not want us to be spectators. He wants us to be involved with him on the floor because that's where ministry happens. And remember, we've been talking about that maybe we were created for such a time as this. Now, I want to just share with you that um, before we get into our lesson today, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament, and I want to, I want to share with you that there are three Old Testament festivals that God commanded His people to celebrate. These were the major festivals in the Old Testament. The first one is what we call the Day of Unleavened Bread, or sometimes it's known as the Feast of the Passover. During this time, the people, the Jewish people, celebrated the fact that they put blood from a, from a year-old male lamb, they put blood on the doorpost, and when the angel of death came to deliver them, guess what? He passed over that blood. There we get the name Passover. So they celebrate that every year. The second festival is what's called the Feast of Weeks, okay? And it literally means Pentecost. 
Pentecost means 50, okay? So 50 days after the Passover, the Israelites, the Hebrews in those days, as they were called, arrive at Mount Sinai, God's mountain, and they celebrate the fact that God has descended in spirit upon the mountain. The third festival that they celebrate is what's called the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths is where they go out in the wilderness and they literally set up booths to where they live in for a period of time during this feast. And this is the time that they celebrate the fact that God gave them the law. He gave Moses the law and he renewed his covenant. Now, there are other feasts that they celebrate, the Day of Trumpets and the Day of Assembly and the Day of Atonement, but these are the three major feasts that they celebrate. Now, my question for you this morning is this, why did they have to do this? Why did God have them celebrate these major feasts? And the answer is this, because God didn't want them to forget his goodness and how he delivered them. And so every year they would celebrate these feasts so that they wouldn't forget the goodness of their God. Now there's one other feast that they would celebrate. In fact, they just celebrated it this last Thursday. It's called the Feast of Purim. And during the Feast of Purim, what they celebrate is God's deliverance according to the book of Esther where we are in our lesson today. Isn't that amazing? God's timing's perfect. Here's what I want you to know about how they celebrate this. This is a celebration, it's, it's a party. There's a lot of eating, there's a lot of drinking, and what they do basically is in the beginning of the day when everybody is gathered together, what they do is they read the story of Esther from the front to the back, okay, 10 chapters. But whenever they hear the name Haman, they boo and hiss as loud as they can. They do it so loud that they can't hear the name Haman. You know why? Because they hate Haman. Haman was the man who came up with the plan to trick Xerxes to try and get the whole Jewish nation destroyed. But there's something that's a little bit more to this feast, and here's what it is. They give gifts to one another, and especially during this feast, they celebrate giving gifts to the poor. Now, here's why. They give the gifts to the poor because they ask each other this question. In whose life has God called you to be an Esther? Whose life has God called you to step out in faith when all of the odds look against you and be the thing, the one, the individual that God uses to bring about a miracle? And I think it's the same thing for our church. I believe with all of my heart that God is getting ready to call Central Community to be an Esther to this community and to the world. And he's asking us, are you gonna stay in the stands or are you gonna get in the game and are you gonna be an Esther for the rest of the world to see what I can do through a people who love and have dedicated their life to me. And who knows, my dear friends in Christ, who knows that you were created for such a time as this, right? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. 
as I read from the book of Esther, Esther chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, a purple robe of five linen, and the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you are a God of mercy. But today we need to know that you are also a God of justice too. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if you have been watching the news for the last several weeks, you have probably come to the conclusion, like many of the rest of us, that this Putin is a bad dude, right? I mean, when you look at the TV set and you see the horrible atrocities of war, and you see the lives that are lost, and probably the thing that probably grabs you more than anything is the fact that children and women have lost their lives in this war, right? You know, I don't know about you, but maybe you're also like me and like many other people in the world who are asking a question. And the question they're asking is this. So does God not see what's going on here? Is God not watching what's going on? Has any of you ever asked that question? I have. I want you to know that if you have been asking that question, you're in good company because there's a prophet named Jeremiah in the scripture who asked asked the very same question. Take a look at this. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Have you ever felt like that before? I mean, it feels like, it seems like these people just get away literally with murder and nothing ever happens to them. They're the ones that are driving the nice cars. They got all the big houses. They got everything that I want. Isn't God do anything to them? So does Putin get a free pass? I want you to know that the Bible gives us a resounding answer, and it is no, he does not get a free pass. In fact, my dear friends in Christ, just in case you wanted to know this, the Bible talks three times as much about God's wrath and justice than it does about his mercy. I want you to think about that. We know our God is a merciful God, but over 150 times in the scripture, 150 times, the Bible talks about God's wrath and God's anger and God's justice. Do the wicked get a free pass? Take a look at what the scriptures say here. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. There is no free pass, and I want you to know that God will do exactly what he says he is going to do, 
and I'm going to prove it to you this morning. There's a story that takes place 53 years before the story that we're going to talk about today. Just 53 years. And what I need you to know about this is that it involves the empire that was just before the Medes and the Persian, and that was the Babylonian Empire. There was a king, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a wicked man, but he was God's tool. God used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come into his people, the Jews in Jerusalem, and to wipe everything out, including the temple. This is the first time the temple was destroyed. But they did something else. You know what they did? They went into the God's temple and they took, they stole all of the goblets, all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, and they took it back with them to Babylon. The story begins with a party. They're always having a party over there, aren't they? But the story begins with a party, and let's pick it up there. Look at what it says here. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar is now out of the picture, and his son, Belshazzar, is now in place of the the leader, the king. So the king, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So there's this big party going on. I don't know what happened to the dishwashers, but apparently they're off duty. And the king says, forget about all of our utensils. Bring in the gold, bring in the goblets, bring in all of the utensils that we stole from Israel's God. Now, you know what he was doing, don't you? He was throwing this in the God of Israel's face. He was laughing at God. He was raising his fist and says, where are you now, God of Israel? I want you to notice something. (laughs) What he didn't know is God was looking down and taking notice of what he was saying. Watch what happens. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be done right there, okay? Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I can think about three or four other things that would have been happening to me if that would have been me, okay? Here's what I want you to understand. Here is this mighty king. He thinks he's all-powerful. He laughs in the face of God, and God takes notice, and the hand writes a message on the wall. The problem is, is the king doesn't recognize the message. He can't make it out. He brings in all of his royal advisors. Guys, what does that mean? Nobody knows. But in the land, there was a godly man by the name of Daniel. And Daniel comes in. Oh, king, you know what that means? The days of your kingdom have been weighed and you have been found wanting. The end of your kingdom is about to happen. You know what happened? 
Take a look. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So you know what we learn from this? Is that God is a God of justice. And he is not going to allow the wicked to get away with what they are doing. And so my friends, here's what I need you to hear. This is what God says. God says, his anger is aroused when the wicked go about their work. And so he calls to you and me, get involved. Did you hear that? He calls to you and me, get involved. This war that's taking place over in Ukraine right now, there's a lot of political reasons why it's happening, but you also need to understand this. It's also a religious war. Do you understand that? The Bible tells us you bless Israel, you bless the Jews, God will bless you. This involves God's people, and they are still God's chosen nation. And so what we're going to do to get involved is that tomorrow night, from 7 to 8 in, we are joining the National Day of Prayer organization, and we're going to open our chapel from 7 to 8 for anybody who wants to come and pray against this war. Now, I need you to understand, every scene that you see that comes on the TV, what you need to remember is that's a, just a glimpse of what is being taken place in the unseen world, in the spiritual world. There's a battle goes on. And you know what God is saying to us? I'm calling my people to come together and pray. You see, that's God's answer to many of the problems in the world. You know what the world is saying? So this God of yours, where is he? Why is God not doing anything about it? And you know what God's doing? God's sitting outside, well, I am doing something about it. I've sent all my people. Problem is, they're sitting in the stands. They won't get involved. And God says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and what? Pray. What does God say? I'll ignore their prayer. No, 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 no. He says, I will hear their prayer and I will heal their land and I will forgive their sins. God wants us to get involved. Do you remember last week? Last week I ended with these words. God has the final say. Do you believe that? Doesn't sound like it. Do you believe that? All right, so let's say that together. Ready? God has the final say. I want you to turn to the person on your right, and I want you to tell them, God has the final say. Now I want you to turn to the person on your left, and I want you to say, God has. Now I want you to say out loud, God has. Okay, now listen to me. No matter what, 
No matter what, God has the final say. It may be a health issue. It may be a financial issue. It may be a job issue. I don't know what it is that you may be going through, but Bible tells us God has the final say. You may have gotten a report this week that you have a mass in your abdomen. Your doctor maybe called you and said you have a tumor in your brain. Maybe you have an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe you're wanting to get pregnant. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I don't know what it is you're going through, but people of God, God has the final say. Now listen to this. Listen to this. I want to prove it to you. I want to prove it to you that God has the final say. Look at what the Bible tells us. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. Okay, remember, there was an edict. Haman tricked Xerxes and there was an edict that went out. Remember, the laws of the Medes and Persians could not be revoked. And that went out that the Jews were to be destroyed. Do you realize the Jews were not even allowed to protect themselves? Now, I want you to look right here at the very top line there. And it says, but now the tables were turned. All right, let's say that together, okay? But now the tables were turned. In the Christian Standard Version, it says, but the reverse happened. In the NET, the New English Translation, which is my favorite, says, but contrary to expectations. In other words, what God is telling us is that God turned everything around. Here's what I need for you to know and hear today. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the hurt. I can't imagine the confusion. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. God is the God of the turnaround. You know why? Because the Bible tells us he has the final say. You need to keep telling yourself that. Don't believe what the doctor's telling you necessarily. Question God. Ask him, God, what is it that you're doing? I know what they've told me, but I need to know what the creator of the universe, the creator who created me, who knows me inside and out, that's the opinion that matters to me more than anything. All right, now, you remember back in our story that the edict went out and the Jews were going to get killed. And so now there's a change, though. Haman's in trouble. Mordecai is now second in command, remember? And so the king issues a new command. Actually, it's Mordecai that writes the command. And here's what the command says. Take a look at this. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves. Do you understand what just happened here? Now everybody knows, okay, I don't have to just stand there and watch them slaughter me and my family. I can protect myself. Watch this to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. 
I'm telling you right now, there is joy going on in all of the lands of the Medes and the Persians. You know why? Because they just have been told, you can protect your family. In fact, you can go after their women. You can go after their children. You can plunder everything if you want. So watch what happens. That very day, when the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa, he called the queen for Queen Esther, and he said, the Jews have killed 500 men in the fortress of Susa alone, as well as Haman's 10 sons. If they have done that there, what has happened in the rest of the provinces? But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me, and I will do it. Esther responded, if it pleases the king, give the Jews and Susa permission to do again tomorrow as they have done today, and let the bodies of Haman's 10 sons be impaled on a pole. So the king agreed, and the decree was announced in Susa, and they impaled the bodies of Haman's 10 sons. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March 8th and killed 300 more men, and again they took no plunder. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's provinces had gathered together to defend their lives. They gained relief from all of their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not take any plunder. Wow, what a turnaround, right? But there's something that I need for you to see in this passage that is critical for us to move forward. God said to the people, you can now protect yourself, and I will be with you. But my dear friends in Christ, they still had to step out in faith and do the work. God didn't tell them, you don't have to do anything, I'll do everything. He didn't say that, did he? He said, no, I will be with you, but I'm giving you permission. You have to defend your families. Take a look at this. Remember from last week? Fear builds mountains, but faith tears them down. I don't know what it would have been like then, but for me as a father, as a husband, as a man, to know that I can protect my family, I will protect my family to the death. Right, men? Oh, come on. Right, men? We will put our lives on the line for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren, and we will do the same thing for our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what God asked them to do. He said, y'all got to step out in faith, and you're going to have to defend your family. And you know what? I get it. You may be a little bit scared. I get it. But you just make sure you use that fear to push you to faith, because God always honors faith. Every man had to defend his own family. Works demonstrate faith in God. So I want to tell you something. This was good versus evil. And God told man, every man, you fight, and you fight with everything you have to, defect, or to defend your families, and that's exactly what they did. Now, here's what I want you to hear from me. James tells us faith without works is dead. If your works don't prove that you have faith, then your faith is dead. So why in the world would we sit in the stands? Why in the world when there are people who are dying and going to hell that they, because they don't know, are we going to just sit in the stands and watch? 
There are children being aborted all the time. And God says, who am I sending? I've sent my people. But we're too busy sitting in the stands because we don't want to get involved. My friends, God has called us to get involved because we represent him. And here's the thing I need you to understand. When you and I follow God's calling and demonstrate faith, the Bible says the rest of the world is going to be attracted to what we do. And they're going to attach themselves to God. You don't believe me? Let me show you this. Which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. All right, I want you to go down to that last line again. I want you to listen very carefully. What does it say? It says, many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. What in the world does that mean? It means this. That all of the people from the many different nationalities of the Medes and the Persians were watching how God was working in and through his people. And they said, I want some of that. That's what happened. You see, in order to become a Jew, there were two things you had to do. Number one, you had to fall under the covenant. This was not, this was not just an easy thing. But not only did you have to fall under the covenant, as you fell under the covenant, you had to declare, you know what? That there is one God and only one God. That's why they said the Shema every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. So here's what I want you to think about right now, and I'm going to bring this to a close. Listen very carefully. In the situation that you find yourself in right now, no matter how bad it is, maybe God has allowed you to go through this situation so that he can bring about a supernatural turnaround so that the rest of the world can watch the God that you've attached yourself to and they will say, I want some of that. You see, here's the thing. Just listen for a second. Listen, okay? It makes us look at the things that we go through differently. Life is hard, and it's not going to get easier. But God's the God of the turnaround, and God's the God who has the final say. And maybe what you're going through right now is God's opportunity to demonstrate to your family and friends, maybe even your spouse, that your faith in God is so attractive that he or she wants to have something to do with it. So when you're going through that difficulty, whether it's that phone call from the doctor, maybe it's your frustration, you're trying to figure out what God's doing, start by doing this. Fast and pray and tell God, I don't know what you're doing here, but whatever it is, I want you to get the glory through this. Did you hear that? Whatever it is, I want you to get the glory for that. And my friends, now you have positioned yourself for a miracle. How many of you are looking for a miracle today? 
How many of you need a turnaround in your life today? How many of you need to hear the word from the Lord that says, God has the final say? I wish I could tell you that you don't have any more problems once you become a believer. That's a joke, isn't it? In fact, usually we have more problems, don't we? But all I want you to hear is this. This is what God is saying. I need more Mordecai's. I need more Esther's who will step up and believe and by faith allow me to use them in this situation so that I can bring glory to my name and more will come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. I want to be involved in that, don't you? And so would you bow your heads with me? Would you stand and bow your heads with me? And we're going to pray a prayer together. And God may be wanting to do this with you in your high school, in your junior high. It may be in your youth group. It may be in your children's ministry. It may be at your work. It may be in this community. It may be in this world. But rest assured, God is calling And his eyes go to and fro, the Bible says, looking for a heart that is totally yielded to him. And so what I want to say to you is, let's do it together. There's power in numbers. Let's do it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's real. It's powerful. And God, all through the scriptures, you have demonstrated that you are the God of the turnaround. Look what you did in my life. You sent your son to go to the cross. He paid the wrath of my sin. He paid the price. And I've experienced a turnaround. I've left that life. And now I have been buried with Christ and I have been raised to new life. And I know there are more that need to hear that story. So God, I want to start today in worship, in my family, in my marriage, in my work, and in my neighborhood. Help me demonstrate to others as I go through difficult times my faith and belief in you. And God, as you bring about that turnaround, I promise I'll give you all the praise and the glory. And as a church, Father, we say to you, here we are. Use us, send us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.